0: Welcome to Aviation Careers Podcast, Episode 50, and uh, this is a big milestone for us, Uh, Episode 50. We appreciate you folks listening to us and making it through all these episodes. It's been wonderful. It's been an incredible ride. And today, uh, my uh, co-host is actually going to be Eric Crump, sharing in this 50th anniversary of the podcast. Hi, Eric. I had no idea I was this important to you, Carl, until today. Eric, you're incredibly important, and, and as a matter of fact, we got an email from someone saying you're, you're one of the favorite co-hosts, but that, that's uh, some terrific uh, things to say for, for some of
1: And I thank you for that. Your check is in the mail. So. <laughs> well, today's topic is going to be something
0: interesting, and it's going to be a little bit different than uh, what you've heard from everybody else. I really don't want to talk about this uh, too much because I think we should put it to bed. But yeah, we're going to talk about the pilot shortage. And the reason being is that everybody's talking about the pilot shortage. Talk a little bit about the facts about the pilot shortage. Uh, we're also going to discuss what it means to you for your career. Uh, there's a, there's a lot of information going around. And I really think that there's a lot of noise that, that might be confusing you, but we and we'll get to it i don't want i don't want to spoil it right now, but before we get begin, just a little quick discussion about our sponsors If you could go out to AviationCareersPodcast.com dot com if you like the show and uh click on some of our sponsors also another thing you could do is rate us on iTunes. i'd really appreciate that it's uh dot com slash iTunes. Uh there's also a membership that you can uh join up and uh actually get yourself some scholarship information and some other classes by becoming an annual member. And all that information's out there for the annual membership. So if you're actually someone that's not interested in scholarships and want to somehow donate to the show, I don't take donations, but if you want to become an annual member, I really encourage that. But anyway, let's uh get on with the show. Eric is is a is a is a perfect person for this because he's looking at it from a similar Perspective that I am we 're not looking at the sensationalization in the news about the pilot shortage i 've been talking about this for years about the fact that we 're going to have a limited supply of pilots but let's let 's talk about the pilot shortage itself and one thing I, I really want to do first uh, is take the politics out of this pilot shortage equation, of course, what our politicians have done through their laws has caused partially some of this shortage so we can't totally take it out but let's not talk politics here let's talk the true the true pilot shortage and how it affects you as somebody who's looking towards a career in aviation so first thing we're going to talk about a little bit is is the reason why we have this shortage well you know over the years i've talked about the fact that we are going to have less people then we need to get hired at the regional airlines so notice what i just said the regional airlines you've heard me say this on other podcasts that the major airlines really don't see a shortage they see a shortage of applicants but when they mean a shortage of a- of applicants that means instead of 60,000 applicants they have 10,000 applicants so to them that's a shortage that's to me that's not really a shortage a true shortage is where you can't you don't have enough Supply of something, and that supply is pilots that are qualified. So, really, let's you know, let's change this name instead of the pilot shortage to a limited supply of qualified pilots. And one of the reasons that a lot of people point towards is the low starting wages, and also the fact that there's not enough qualified people, and also the fact that there's people that look at the fact that they're going to be traveling throughout the world and the fact that there's, you know, the fact that we're, we won't be getting paid and we're going to be away. Well, you know what? All that's true. The, the My comment is this about the pilot shortage. I'm going to let Eric also make a comment. Then we're going to get a little more granular in our conversation is that I'm going to be on my soapbox for two more seconds. This pilot shortage here, okay, that we're talking about doesn't really matter so much to you. Yeah, the hiring's going to change, but what should matter is how do I move forward in my career? Because if you're getting into this career in aviation, no matter what it is, especially as a pilot, because there's a shortage, you're doing it for the wrong reasons and you're really going to be discouraged. And you're going to start doing the things that you shouldn't be doing, as I talked about in a previous episode, about what not to do during a pilot shortage. So with that said, before we get into this granularity, I'm going to let Eric speak a little bit towards the pilot shortage. And notice I'm speaking very general here right now. I'm going to let Eric, from a a university standpoint and also from his opinion, talk a little bit about the pilot shortage.
1: Right. So, um, (laughs) oh, what a topic. When you told me this is what we're going to be talking about today, um, I kind of just scratched my head for a second. I typed typed that email to you probably five times before I sent it about the things I wanted to say because... um, it is such a touchy issue. People get so, so emotional about it. Um, and unfortunately, most of the people who get really emotional about it have absolutely no idea what they're talking about, which is unfortunate. Um, but and I think this is a great venue um, to be able to educate people. Again, if you're if you're in airline hiring, you have a different perspective on a pilot shortage than someone who wants to go into a career in aviation and work as a pilot. So I'm going to assume that you guys uh, and gals are in a position where you're looking for a career in aviation, you're not looking to do statistics, you're not looking to you know forecast and, and schedule, that's a different conversation. But if you're looking for a career as a pilot at an airline somewhere, that's where my comments are going to be structured today. Because you're the people who really need to understand all the sensationalism and make sure that you're not getting carried away by a lot of hype and a lot of talk that doesn't necessarily apply to you um and so i i agree that it's very important that we you know define i like that term actually the limited supply of qualified pilots that's a much better way to look at it really than to look at a shortage like there's not enough bread okay you know in a bread shortage you can't eat okay um and so we're not we're not currently experiencing a pilot shortage you know you you hear about uh, you know, regional airlines that are canceling flights and things like that. And because they don't have, they don't have enough pilots and we'll get into the granularity of why that is in a minute and, and all those issues, but understand that when you see regional airlines canceling flights because they don't have qualified pilots, they did before. Okay. So there is in fact, a shortage of something. And that shortage is a number of people who will work in the industry, the way that it's set up right now to support them in their career. Okay, and so you have to understand what this job is. I talk to people every single day who think that it's like uh, it's like going into the military. Right. I want to go into the Navy because I'm going to fly an F-18. You're probably not actually going to fly an F-18. It's probably not going to happen. Odds are you're not going to get into the academy and you're going to have to do some other way to get there. Right. Because there are only a limited number of people who get that slot. And so it doesn't mean you shouldn't pursue it and go after it, but you have to be realistic about your expectations. And that's why, and I've said on this podcast many times, it's not, in aviation, you don't just have a plan B. You have a plan C, D, E, F, and G also so that you understand what your options are. And in this particular time, a lot of people are saying, okay, well, ooh, there's this pilot shortage. I'm going to go through. I'm going to get all my training done really fast. I'm going to take on a huge amount of debt, and that's okay because I'm going to have a job the next day. It It, it doesn't. It doesn't work that way. It's never worked that way. Um when everything went down the toilet after deregulation, it wasn't like that. Um so, you know, it it's important that we have proper expectations, proper uh, you know, realistic view of what the industry is and what it's going to be, and be responsible about what we do with uh, with our career aspirations. But um I'm really excited about this topic because I think it's timely. Everybody's talking about the issue right now and adding some definition, some clarity, I think is very important.
0: I think it's really important uh, especially since there there truly is a shortage but uh also the fact that there's a lot of sensationalization of this topic uh you know you love to see it on the news oh there's this pilot shortage are we going to be, be able to fill our airplanes so there's there's some really good information out there and uh, all of it's correct you know I hate to say no they're wrong but everybody's correct but there there's some a lot of nuance here And there's a lot that's put into this equation, and that's what we're about to talk about. We're going to talk about the specifics of the equation and and why there's a shortage, but we're also going to talk about your career, because that's even more important here. We're going to talk more about pilots, but in general, there is some big hiring going on in aviation and in certain careers. For instance, flight attendants are also being hired, air traffic controllers. Uh, but again, this is the topic about pilot shortages, but we'll, we, we'll talk about those later on. But remember, it's not just pilots, it's other portions of this career. So let's talk a little bit about, uh, your career progression and expectations that you hear people discuss based on this pilot shortage. Okay. So let's go, go back a little bit and, and learn from the past. In the past, we've seen shortages, and there's people that say there's never been a pilot shortage. Well, there's always been cycles in hiring. There were times when they're actually taking people off the street at United Airlines and saying, hey, listen, we'll finish your training. You know, it was back in the 60s. We will finish your training, and you can work as a pilot. As long as you have your private or, say, your instrument, we're going to hire you, even without your commercial license and we're going to get you those licenses. They've done this through in other countries in the world through ab initio training. But right now, right at this point, and, and th- this is supposed to be evergreen topic, meaning that it's supposed to last forever, but right now the career progression is that it's going to be a lot quicker as an airline pilot to get to the whatever your career goal is. And most people, it's a major airline, a lot faster than it's been in the past. But also expect that the that the actual economy is going to have a downturn at some point. And, uh, you know, all of our politicians think they know exactly what they're doing and they can plan the whole uptick and downturns in the economy. You know, it really, that's not totally true. It goes up, it goes down. That's just the way it is. And so plan for the fact that it's going to fall at some point, but be excited about the fact that there's a lot of hiring going on right now. And that's what's really cool. That's something that excites me. So what can you expect? You can expect what happened back in 2000, 2001, say to happen again, or even before that in the 60s, where you can have your commercial license and you can get hired with an airline even without your ATP, but now there's something that's different. That's something we're going to talk a little bit about later. You have to have some other things that's required by the regulations, but still you can get hired by airlines without your ATP, and I know everybody's going to say, no, Carl, that's wrong. Well, they're out there, they're hiring, they just require you to have your ATP by the time you come to training. Now, there's something different. So if we didn't have a shortage of qualified pilots, then, you know, they wouldn't have to actually say that in their hiring practices, so... What can you expect on the career progression? Number one, you can expect to go to, say, one of these accelerated programs after getting, say, a four-year degree, which I suggest, and get into a regional airline. I've seen it happen within six months. I know people have gone from zero time to six months at a regional airline. Uh, the, the problem with that is that oh, some of these people don't get their degrees, and they don't finish their four-year degrees. I'm working with a gentleman right now who's trying really hard to get into a major, and he can't. Because he did this. He did the accelerated, I'm going to get to a regional right away. And he gets to the regional even before he was, he 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 got his high school diploma and got into a regional, which was amazing. And then he, they let him in because he was working on his associate's degree. He finished his associate's degree, but he never finished his four-year degree. And now he's having problems getting hired by the major. So, ah, so what does that tell you? That tells you, yeah that you need to get your four-year degree, number one. Number two, it tells you that at the regional end is where you're seeing the shortage, not so much at the major end. They can still require the four-year degree, which is what they're doing. You know, if you got ten thousand hours or twenty thousand hours and a couple moon landings, you probably get hired. And if you don't have your four degree, four year degree, but you probably didn't make it to the moon without the four year degree, so that might be a a moot point. So don't, you know, there are exceptions to every everything we tell you. There's some exceptions to that rule, but for ninety five to ninety nine percent of you, you need to get that four year degree and progress forward. So what do you need to do? Get the four year degree, get as many hours as you can, so you can get your ATP, which is now required by regulation to get hired with the airline. So your career progression and expectations are much greater than they were years ago. When I, you know, it's funny, when I started flying, they were telling you if you had 5,000 hours, you couldn't get on with a regional. Nowadays, 5,000 hours, that'll get you hired with a major airline. I've seen 500 hours get hired with a major airline. So that's your your expectations there. Do you have anything to add to that, Eric, as far as career expectations or progression?
1: Well I mean I'm glad you said that about the degree cuz when I say it it sounds like I have a huge bias I'm trying to sell people on degrees. So I mean I, I appreciate that but it's a real it's a realistic thing. Um, you know and even if even if they will hire you without the degree, one of the things I try to tell people a lot, you know, if you're looking at finishing an associate's degree and it's like, okay, well, you know, I can get a job right now with his associate's degree. Yes you can. But if you ever get out of that mentality, it's very hard to come back into it again. Talk to anybody who has a bachelor's degree who's always wanted to do a master's degree. It's it's very difficult to go back to school after you get back out. If you can keep yourself in that educational mindset, it's incredibly important to keep yourself moving. And even if you want to go take that regional job or whatever it is and work with the associate's degree, finish your bachelor's degree. Because even if you can get the job, even if it's not part of the hiring requirements – it's always going to make you stand above the other people in the pool because when a when an airline is looking at resumes they're going to look at obviously flight hours sure everybody's got to have a flight hour minimum they everybody's got to have some type of educational minimum and even if it's not a bachelor's degree if you have a bachelor's degree that's one tick up you have above the people who don't and so it's just it's a competitive advantage even if it's not a hiring requirement i can't i can't overstress that enough but I'm really glad you said it so that I don't sound like I'm just selling bachelor's degrees to people.
0: Hey, listen, you know, Eric, that brings up a great point. Let's, let's discuss this right now. Let's talk about bias and, and our bias and other people's bias. First of all, Uh, What we do here at Aviation Careers Podcast, we, we like to give you the information and the facts. We also like to give you our opinion. And when we give you our opinion, that is our bias. And everybody has some type of bias towards something. With that, understand that the information we give you is factual. And when we do give you information that's our opinion, we will hopefully tell you that. But remember that everybody has their own opinion on different items. And that's very important when you're listening to people and talk about this pilot shortage. And we'll get that to that in a little while. But uh, you know, even though Eric is in the university program, it doesn't mean that what he says isn't factual. It does, it's it's true. You need that four year degree to make it easier for you to get hired. If your relative or friend is the chief pilot with a major airline, you may get away with not having that four year degree, but I would not suggest it. It just puts you at the top of the stack. As a matter of fact, here's an interesting thing that's been happening. You know they're going to this online hiring. And now you can't even get past page one without saying that I have a four year degree in some of these applications. That's with the majors, by the way. The, the regionals aren't so much doing that because they're, they're hurting for some pilots right now, but it's, it's more of the majors that are doing that. Speaking of that, just a little quick update on the regionals. Uh, I know I don't call out the names of the regionals that I speak to, but the reason being is that for them to give me information, I've, they've asked me to be silent on the information I'm giving them. So let me say this. They're, the people that I've, without giving it away, the people that I've spoken with at certain regional airlines have stated to me that they're having a real problem. And they're having a problem finding people. And I've heard the term used, and I, I don't like to be negative at all on this, but some have said they're kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel in some cases. You know, they'll take just about anybody. And that's kind of an interesting comment to be made. So yes, if you you come out and you make yourself somebody that's competitive, you're going to get hired. So the other thing, too, is this. They'll hire you, and they'll put you in a pool and say, by a hiring pool, and say, listen, we want you here, but we're going to give you what's called a conditional letter of hire. That's something I'm not sure we've talked about before, we may have, is what's called a conditional letter of hire. That's what I said before about the fact that they'll hire you without your ATP. So they'll give you a conditional letter of hire saying, the condition is that within X amount of time, Most of the regionals are six months. They'll tell you that you have to complete your ATP within the next six months. Otherwise, we can rescind this conditional letter of hire, and that's happening over and over again. The other thing, too, is that a lot of folks are talking about multi-engine time. I asked about that. It doesn't matter as long as you have your multi-engine commercial at that point and hopefully your multi-engine ATP by the time you get hired. People get hired with with hardly any multi-time. I'm a good example. I only had 78 hours of multi when I got hired. With an airline, I got my multi-engine time at the airline, which is pretty incredible. Uh, I wouldn't suggest that as much. I I'd, I I'd, I'd try to get you to get as much multi-engine time as possible. Total time's a little more important now because of that ATP rule. So just remember that. So that's a little caveat there. So now we've discussed that. Let's talk a little bit about uh, <laughs> why the overselling of the pilot shortage will will create dissatisfied pilots, and on this. This has probably been the the biggest challenge in my life in the past twelve years working with pilots, you know, as you know from my background, I've helped furloughed airline pilots find jobs, and I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, "Well, they told me I'd be making six figures by five years at my job, and now I'm making nothing or I'm only making fifteen thousand or sixteen thousand. What happens with this pilot shortage is the fact that or, or, you know, the limited supply of qualified pilots is the fact that we hire people and we hire people with lower qualifications, but then there's a downturn and those people get furloughed and have to look for another job. Now they're competing against all these other people with high time and they don't have certain qualifications. A good example, four-year degree. So they're looking at all these applicants. After the next turn downturn in the economy, they're looking at applicants that have been furloughed and they see well, person A has a four-year degree. Person B doesn't have a four-year degree. They have the same amount of flight time. We'll take the person with a four-year degree. So that's just how they, they do it. It's really that simple. So this is what's going to happen. You're going to be caught in this rut and really get dissatisfied. I was a little discouraged, to be honest with you, when I got furloughed because I I was just about to start a job flying twins, and I got hired. Six months later, I was furloughed, and I couldn't get on with anybody. I had airlines calling me saying, "Hey, we'll give you a job," and I couldn't get on. Same thing with with a flight instructing. So that's going to create some dissatisfied people. And I'm I'm sure, you know, other than what I've said, I'm sure you know you have an example of somebody Eric has an example of of somebody he may even know or heard of that that was dissatisfied because of, you know, the last pilot George and then the economy downturning.
1: I was in school with a lot of those people. <laughs> um, you know, I I realized when I got to college that um you know, what I wanted to do in aviation was not fly airlines. I, that's all I'd ever wanted to do since I was eight years old. I wanted to be an airline pilot when I got to college and realized, Oh my goodness, there's all these other things you can do in aviation other than be an airline pilot. And I can sleep in my own bed every night. That sounds really good to me. And so I found my niche in aviation, you know, which I have since changed like six or seven times because you can, because there are multiple niches for you because aviation is a huge thing. That's you know another podcast topic, but, um, You know, I know the people who, you know, were at the airport all the time, you know, following corporate pilots around, trying to get right seat time anywhere they could because they were on this airline pathway. They wanted to, you know, get, and this was back in the the glory days with, you know, a wet commercial ticket, you know, 250 hours and and a multi-engine rating, you could get a job. Um, and so these guys were just going out in droves. They were just hiring people. Uh, you People weren't even finishing their CFI certificate. They get right in the middle of their CFI training and get a job offer and just leave it and go. And, um, you know, those of us who were – who had been around a little bit longer, who had experienced some other things, like, you know, you really – I know this sounds really good to you, but, you know, you really need to think about what you're doing. And then, yeah, eight, ten months down the road, they get furloughed because that's what happens. Um, and so if you get – if you're always right on the crest of the wave, the wave is eventually going to overtake you. You know what I mean? So when you're looking at pilot hiring and Carl, Carl is actually an expert on this particular topic, so he can talk about it. But when you think about pilot hiring, the, the, the visual of an ocean wave is the perfect example. Okay. You don't want to be on the cusp. You don't want to be right in the front of it right you you want to test the waters and you want to be in that safe place on a wave where if, if you're if you're in that safe zone then when you come in you have the right qualification so that when the furloughs start because they do that's just that's the way this business works if you want to go into commercial aviation flying for the airlines regional or otherwise you have to understand furloughs are reality it's just it's it's part of the job um, and if you're sitting down in reserve or or low in a seniority list you know you're you're in danger for furlough it's just that's the reality but if you have those other skills if you have a four year degree if you have your flight instructor certificates then and that's what I was talking about before having your a b c d e f and g plan if your a plan is i'm going to become a commercial airline pilot and that's all you've got going on for you i really encourage you to sort of think outside the box and get away from that model because you need to protect yourself from those situations by having a diverse educational background, by having more tricks in your toolbox, basically.
0: That's well said. The uh, It's interesting because we talk about people being dissatisfied with their flying careers. I think this happens in a lot of other careers besides flying. You know, you'll go into something because someone said, hey, it's easy to do. It's I'm going to make a lot of money, and then 20 years down the road, you hate what you're doing. Uh, I'm a good example of that. Not that I hated what I was doing, but I went to computers because there was a lot of money in computers at the time. And, uh, yeah, it was good. I enjoyed it, but, uh, I wasn't satisfied because it didn't matter how much money I was making. That's the other point here. Didn't matter how much money I was making. I was sitting in an office all day. I wasn't out looking at the trees and, and and I was basically behind a computer all day. Well, then again, I fly an Airbus. So maybe I am behind a computer all day as it is. That's a whole other topic. But let's get a little more granular, okay? So we talked about those things. Let's talk about how the regulations uh, will increase the requirements to fly for Part 121. And uh, what. And I'm going to mention one, and then I'll, I'll have Eric. We'll go back and forth a little bit. Uh, there's one thing that's happened. You need to have – and people are calling it the 1500-hour rule. I really don't like that terminology. It's really – the the requirement is that you need your ATP. That's one of the requirements is that you must have your airline transport pilot certificate, which normally – requires 1500 hours. Well, there's others that are other requirements for ATP, which produce what's called a restricted ATP, which you can get hired with. And maybe Eric can actually explain that. So again, you need your ATP, or you need your restricted ATP. So what is a restricted ATP, Eric?
1: So the restricted ATP allows for time exceptions um, less than 1,500 hours, basically. And so calling it the 1,500-hour rule really isn't all that. You can call it the ATP rule or whatever. But in in common vernacular, if you refer to it as the 1,500-hour rule, everybody knows what you're talking about. But it doesn't mean that everybody has to have 1,500 hours because with a restricted ATP certificate, if you go through an, an FA approved collegiate aviation program that is accredited, an accredited program that's also approved by the FA to offer the restricted ATP certificate, then you can uh, with upon graduating from a degree-granting institution with an associate's degree, again approved school. You can't just go anywhere; it has to be an approved school. Um, you can bring that fifteen hundred hour time minimum down to twelve fifty. So twelve hundred and fifty hours. If you complete a four year degree program in an approved school for the restricted ATP, you can bring that number down to a thousand hours. Military seven hundred fifty, which doesn't apply to most people, but that's so the restricted ATP certificate allows you to get an ATP Uh, with less time. Now, it's called a restricted ATP certificate for a reason, because it's not a real ATP certificate. It in and of itself has restrictions placed upon it. You can't act as PIC. So it's a whole lot of different... This gets you hireable by an airline, basically. It's a way to get there. You're still going to have to get to that point where you have the requirements necessary to hold a full ATP before you can go act as PIC.
0: Okay, so that's one of the, the increased requirements. The other increased requirement is the fact that you have to have your type rating And you have to have your pilot-in-command type rating in the aircraft that you're flying at the airline. So what is that? That means that prior to this, you had to have your second-in-command type rating to fly that airplane. That makes sense. Now you have to have what's called your PIC type rating. PIC is usually the captain. Well, I actually just went through this process. I just got my PIC type rating on the Airbus, and I've been flying the Airbus for a year with my second-in-command. Well, we're going to have till 2016— to meet that requirement of everybody having that pilot-in-command. What does it mean to you? Not much, to be honest with you. It's really up to the airline training department to figure out what to do with you as far as your pilot-in-command rating. But understand this, and this gets a little confusing. People think that since they have their pilot-in-command rating that they can be a captain at the airline with that rating, and that's not true. You can be pilot-in-command on that aircraft, but within the training requirements and the operation specifications of that airline, you have to go through specific training to be deemed a captain at that airline and be a current captain to fly as a captain. You can fly as pilot-in-command, but you have to be a captain to be a captain with an airline. And that's very difficult to understand sometimes. But pilot-in-command is totally different. So for instance, say I owned an Airbus and I wanted to go fly it. I could go fly it as, as pilot-in-command and Eric could come along with me. And that's fine because I have that rating. But if I want to work at an airline since I didn't get my captain rating because I'm not senior enough to hold that, I can't fly as captain the next day at the airline I work for. So that's that's the difference there. So there's one of the things. You have to have your PIC type rating. The airline will go through that process. And if you're wondering what that is, normally it means that you have to make certain decisions. Uh, You also will know how to taxi the airplane. Uh, People don't realize, I think, the fact that most airliners, it's the captain of the taxis and not the first officer. Although m- uh, most airlines and most airliners are now being built so you can actually taxi from both sides of the aircraft. So that's that's one of the instances there. So that's one increase. Um, another increase as far as the requirements, uh, you're also going to have to get your, your uh, Type 1 or your Class 1 medical, and you're going to have to get that anyway. But there's been some uh, leeway on that. That's another thing that we we need to mention. You have to have your class one, first class medical, but when you're there, it can actually downgrade to a, a second class medical. Uh, that's been an interpretation. So you need to get your first class medical. Period. We talked about this in another podcast. If you're thinking of becoming an airline pilot, make sure you get your first class medical first, just to make sure you can meet the requirements of that medical. So that's really important. Uh, other ways the regulations have increased the the requirements for part. One twenty-one, eric is there any others that you can think of as far as as the the backgrounds as far as what what type of uh training that well i'll tell you what i'm gonna i i uh, what i'm trying to get eric to say is there's a new requirement that's coming up here and it has something to do with simulator training and that actually it's not a requirement right now but it's going to be in place in august is it or yeah august of 2014 of this year and eric knows a little bit about that so i'm going to let him just explain what that new requirement is. Also,
1: sure. So, uh, I think we talked about this the last time we chatted. That we had uh, we had the the fifteen hundred hour rule or the ATP rule or whatever you call it. The, I call it the first officer qualification rule. Whatever. But that thing was last August. So then you had crew rest in January, which depending on how your airline deals with that, could be a, a blessing or a curse. Mm-hmm. And then and so now in August you get the 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 trifecta, the the third final. Um, implementation, the ATP-CTP program, um, which we generally call the crew training program, which basically is, is another outcome of congressional action to train pilots going into the airlines to be able to work in a crew environment and to deal with advanced transport category aircraft systems. Now, t- typically that was all done at the airline when you got, when you went to airline training. And that was a responsibility of the airline to pick that up. Airlines are still doing that, by the way. This is now a requirement of, of applicants who wish to take the ATP test. So before you're even able to test for the ATP certificate, for the knowledge test, yeah, for the knowledge test, you have to go through this uh, CTP program. And the gist of it basically is 10 hours of simulator training. Um, and, a, and a fairly large portion of that has to be done in a level C or D full flight sim. Okay, Those things aren't just sitting around at your local airport, and they're not cheap to operate. Um, they usually have a fixed cost of somewhere between $800 and $1,200 an hour, depending on whether you're, you know, whether the training company's providing the instructor or you're providing, if you're just leasing the equipment and you're going to bring in your own curriculum and your own instructors, you'll just pay for the equipment charge. But if you're going to use somebody else's curriculum and somebody else's instructors to run the thing, which, you know, if you go to your local flight school and say, hey, can you come down to the, to this big SIM facility and teach me how to fly? Well, no, of course not. We don't have the instructors for that. We don't have a curriculum for that. And so that's another—that's a big question mark right now. We're all sort of still wondering what this is going to be. And there's a really good uh, article I think you have in your show notes about uh, where Avweb ran a piece about what this thing is and and what it's going to look like and and the potential cost. I mean, you're looking at maybe another you know six to ten thousand dollars at the end of your training before you can even take the ATP knowledge test to go through the simulator program. And my biggest issue with it is. That you're going to learn skills that the airline is going to teach you anyway, first off, um, but you get nothing out of it. It's not like you're getting a type rating. You're you're just you're meeting a, an arbitrary regulatory requirement. Um, and so again, this is not a you know a diatribe on politics, but this is what happens when people who don't know anything about aviation make rules about aviation. This is what happens. Okay, so it's a reality. It's something we have to deal with. Um but this this is another thing people are gonna have to plan for. And so in in my world, in the in the academic world, when you come in and you wanna go through the student loan process, your student loans have a a cap. There's there's a maximum amount of money you can borrow and that's it. But and you exhaust that pool of money. Most people will do that by the time they complete traditional pilot training. I mean you're gonna you'll probably run out of money either at the end or just before. You'll you'll max out your federal student loan bucket of money. And now you're going to have to come up with another six to ten thousand dollars from somewhere to pay for this CTP program to be able to take the ATP knowledge test. So, um, a lot of airlines are talking about sort of off, not, not offering the training themselves. Airlines don't like doing training for people other than airline pilots for obvious reasons because it's a huge liability risk for them. But being able to, you know, lease out their facilities or work out some kind of arrangement where People who are conditionally hired, for example, you could be conditionally hired without the CTP program. And maybe since you're conditionally hired, you could go through that airline CTP program. So there are several airlines that are talking about creating their own CTP program. Uh, academic institutions, including mine, are, are looking at what that's going to look like for us um, and adding, uh, and from our perspective, adding basically a CTP course uh, in our bachelor's degree. Um, and finding out a way to do that. There's just an obvious expense that goes along with it. And so that's the part that no one's really, I would say no one, few people have figured out yet what that model is going to look like. Um, just because we don't, we don't really have an example to go from. We have an advisory circular from the FAA and that's about it. But we don't really have, there's nobody out there taking the lead and saying, okay, this is what this should look like. And that's why in the academic world, we're really heavily looking to the airlines and asking, you have to tell us what you want, because basically what what we're going to do now as academic institutions or as accelerated flight programs, whatever the case may be, is conduct part of your training for you. Now, you're still going to have to do a lot of this yourself, but we're going to do this initial fit of it for you. So what do you need? What do you want us to teach people coming in? Because that's not typically been something that, that the academic world has messed with. We do the initial stuff. We get them. Qualified, we teach them systems, we teach them regulations, we teach them how to hand fly an airplane, how to deal with automation, and then we count on, you know, the airline to pick them up and, and specifically train them for their operation. So that, this new rulemaking is, is really important to us because it's going to put a lot of that initial training focus back into the general training community, whether that's the academic institutions or the accelerated programs or whatever the case may be.
0: And that's a large cost to, to you when you're, when you're looking at this, as far as the regulations are concerned, as far as complying with this, uh, this is really a biggie to me because that is going to add a lot of cost to people. Well, there's going to be some ways to find scholarships to do that. They're already out there and we have them at aviationcareerspodcast.com slash scholarships. Uh, again, for those that are listening, I know my friends at the NTSB that are listening and my buddies at the FA, you know, this, I, I understand that it was very well intentioned. And I, matter of fact, I, uh, we had a conversation over at the NTSB about this, and, and my friends there, and discussing the fact that, you know, this this new regulation that came uh, came about was through some of their suggestions. But there are some a few unintended consequences of it, and I think the because the, in, the implementation of those suggestions are is by the FAA. Remember, the NTSB just suggests and recommends things; they can't actually make any policies. It's the FAA that, that goes forward with that, and Congress eventually.
1: And I just wanted to add to that I should have clarified that maybe I said it and forgot. Um you know, I have a lot of great friends at the FA who are just as befuddled by this as as we all are. Um FA was instructed by Congress to do this. This is not the FA sitting down and saying, "You know what? Let's see if we can make pilot hiring more complicated." That's not what happened. Um when con- when Congress gives the FA a mandate and says, "You will do this and you will do it by this date and these are the general parameters for it." That's what it is. There's there's no you don't say no. You you have to do it. And I've talked with a lot of friends I have within the FAA who are, you know, just as frustrated with the whole process. Trying, and that's where the restricted ATP came from. The restricted ATP is the FAA actually trying to help us out and saying, "Here's a, an alternative means of compliance with this rule," and they leave the door open. And it's so, 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 so there's the regular ATP, there's the restricted ATP, and then there's the quote-unquote alternative means of compliance acceptable to the administrator. So if somebody can come up with a better idea than restricted ATP, that meets the spirit or the intent of the congressional mandate, the FA is perfectly open to looking. And I've talked with people inside the organization who would love to find a better solution. This is the best they could come up with with the amount of time they had to do it. So to be clear, pointing the finger at the FA is not, is not really fair here. Um, because again, all of these actions came about by congressional mandate. Um, And while Congress and pilot groups – I'm sorry, while the FAA and pilot groups and everything else tried to inform Congress about what was going on, you know, ultimately Congress made a decision that they wanted you to have an ATP certificate to fly for an airline because to them that makes complete sense. What is an ATP certificate? Airline, transport, pilot. Well, of course, if you're going to fly for an airline, you should have an ATP certificate because they have no idea how far that trickles down into everybody else's life. So anyway, just so we're clear – in this particular instance, you can't really go shaking a torch at the FAA because this this is a congressional mandate. They did the best they could with the amount of time they had.
0: Yeah, and the FAA has has really been been inundated with calls and emails and trying to clarify so much like you said, you know, put out advisory circulars. So I, I appreciate your adding that to it. As a matter of fact, let's talk a little bit more about some regulations that that have come about that have added to this this uh, lack of qualified pilots. And, uh, and increase in hiring. That's FAR 117. We haven't even talked about that. So FAR 117, which is the new rest rules requirements, will actually, uh, in a nutshell, it's going to require pilots to get more rest. I will say there is one thing about the rule that I like. I will always, always get eight hours of sleep now. And I always will get ten hours of rest between flight duty periods. And to give you an example, prior to this, we had uh, we could get what's called reduced rest down to eight hours of rest. Well, people don't realize rest starts from the time you open the door on the airplane till the time you get to the airplane the next day. So, for instance, I finish my flight. I get out of the airplane, go to the hotel. That might take me an hour, hour and a half to get to the hotel and then get dinner and go to sleep. I get up, get ready for work the next day normally i would get the most 6 hours usually about 4 to 6 hours of sleep and then fly another day possibly 16 hours and that's a long day so i i love that part of the rule the other part as far as limiting the amount of time in your day uh really it's not a very big uh, impact and that's one of the things we've been hearing lately but the the impact though to the airline is that they are going to run out of pilots earlier special people like that on a reserve and they say there's delays, so now what's going to happen? They're going to need more pilots because there's more rest. Remember, we fly by the hour, and they try to pack all your flying into your 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 schedule for the week, well, they can't put as much in that schedule. So that's going to be a big impact. I won't get into all the details and the granularity of 117. Actually, that's something that we've been talking about doing as like a presentation as far as 117 rules and how to interpret them because there's a lot of folks out there that really don't understand it. And there are some simple ways and simple rules of thumb to think about it. Just like class Bravo, think big. We can do a lot with just think about 16 hours, and if you're on reserve, it's probably what's going to happen is you're going to be eligible for 16 hours of duty except, and that's going to be uh, just a portion of the time, those those little things. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about 117 in the future. There's another portion of it. The other thing, too, is that there's uh, these regulations have really driven part of this shortage, but there's also part of that that's... That's the other side where the population's growing. There's more people flying. Flying has become less expensive relative to income. So it hasn't kept up with inflation at all. So it's, it's, being more, it's more available. So more people are out there flying, which is a great thing. That means we need more pilots. So what's going to happen? We're going to have a shortage. We're going to have less qualified people because they're not training them fast enough. I know everybody in the, in the out there is saying, well, why can't we train them? I was like, well, these things take time. You know, you, you can't train a doctor within a year. It takes some time to get there. So uh, one of the things I do want to stress, though, in this is really be careful who you listen to as far as this quote-unquote pilot shortage. There's many people out there that want to either push an agenda or they – They are looking for, say, money for their group, or say they're a politician, just wants more power, et cetera. So you have to be really careful who you listen to as to who's saying there's a pilot shortage, who's saying there is no pilot shortage also. There's a lot of people that are saying there is no such a thing. And uh, because in their limited view, they're right. In their area, there may not be a pilot shortage. Let's pretend that you're a major airline and you're looking for pilots. You're going to find them easily. So for you... There is no pilot shortage. Then you look at the regional that flies for you, and they have to cancel flight because they don't have any pilots to cover those flights. Well, what's that? That's a shortage of pilots that they have there, and there's many reasons for that. By the way, let's not let's not just look at all these regulations. Let's look at also the fact that there is a way of managing that company that may be part of that. So there's many things. Let's not just point the finger at at one person and and money, etc. Yeah, of course, and it it's just we we need to look at the real reason why this is happening, and if we we look at it from a perspective of being very nuanced and also being the culmination of many. Different aspects, then we get a better coloration on the actual pilot shortage, and I think that's what we're trying to do here. So I hope that we haven't been too political in talking about any of this stuff, and and we've given you a, a good. I think we've been trying very hard not to be, and, and I hope we've we've really driven you know your decision making towards a career in aviation that includes a decision based on. Your love for aviation, your love for a career, Um, and I'll give you an example. I know a lot of people in the nursing business for some reason. I have a lot of friends that are in that business, and you saw a lot of nurses get into this business uh, in the state of Florida, and uh, some of those are really disenchanted right now because there was a huge shortage, and now there's a bit of a glut, so now they're moving on. Uh, but there's there's that's a good example same thing happens with pilots. same thing happens in any career, so we're just talking pilots so so make sure that the pilot shortage is not driving your decision to become a pilot. make sure it's because you want to become a pilot
1: yeah i I couldn't agree more you know if doing anything for the wrong reasons is a bad idea um and I think you know like I said before people you know i want to, I, and that's what, when I was a kid, I wanted to fly. Like, well, I'll go I'll go fly for the military so I can go fly fighter jets. Hmm. Well, okay. Yeah, I mean, there are people who get to do that. Um, there are also people flying C-130s and, and C-5s and C-17s. And, I mean, I don't, I don't mean to speak for anybody else, so we'll let this be Eric's bias and opinion. But if I was working at an airline and you came to me and you had you know, thousands of hours flying an F-18 and the guy beside you had thousands of hours flying a C-5, I'd be hiring the C-5 guy. Um, because that's what I do. I haul things. Um, I, I don't do high bank maneuvers and pull a bunch of G's and and act like you know, like I own the sky. You know, so it's and it, everything is 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 a, is an issue of perspective. Like we talked about when we we're talking about accelerated pilot training programs versus other options. If that makes sense to you, if that's good for you, then that's what you should do. Um, I don't advise every student that I talk to to come into my collegiate aviation program. There there are many that I t- this is not really for you. Um, and people look at me like I'm crazy. Well, aren't you supposed to be increasing your enrollment? Well, I, my enrollment's increasing because people want to come in and fly airplanes. That's not a problem. What I really don't want to have happen is this huge crew of people who become very disenfranchised and very dissatisfied with becoming a pilot because they pursued the wrong pathway and they got into something that didn't fit their needs. And then they get out and then they talk badly about the industry because this is something we're going to be flying around in airplanes for a long time. I don't look at careers in aviation as today tomorrow or even you know a year from now this is a system that has to continue and carry on for decades way down the road um so uh you know and and that's that's my focus is making sure that we're that we're educating people about the rest of your career not just today and maybe tomorrow when you get the job because then once you get it you have to keep it and you may want to go take another one so Think, think big picture. Think downrange. Never look at the, at a shortage or a qual, lack of qualified pilots or whatever you want to call it and just, and just look at right now because aviation doesn't work as a right now business. This is not, I mean, I'm trying to, this is not the grocery store. Okay. It's not the same job every day. It's always different. Our business goes up. It goes down. It goes sideways. And if you're going to do that, you have to be ready for that model. And that's, that's my focus when I'm talking to new students who are interested in aviation. You can't find a better career. You really can't. There's no better job. On the earth, than being an, uh, being a pilot doing something in aviation. Now, and and that that and that goes double. You know, my wife thought she wanted to be a pilot, realized she actually wanted to work in aviation management. Okay, so you know, I decided I didn't want to be an airline pilot. She decided she wanted to be a pilot at all. So there's 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 wealth of experience in aviation. And I just I don't want to see people pigeonhole themselves because they're looking at this quote unquote pilot shortage. I've got to go right now. I've got to get a job tomorrow. You know, make sure you're thinking downrange and you're doing the right thing for you uh, long term.
0: And to add to that, make sure that, like we said, listen to the right people. You know, and listen to the people that that are going to inspire you. Listen to people that are happy, no matter what career it is. Say you decide not to do this. Listen to those people that love their career. One of the things, uh, the last thing I really want to mention uh, before we wrap this up is when you're out there, and I know there's tons of forums on the internet. And I keep getting these emails over and over and over again. So let me just say this, since this has been a huge response as far as the forums are concerned. A lot of times on those forums, they may be anonymous, uh, and it's somebody who's maybe ranting and maybe has a a certain bias towards the the fact that he hates this career. But that doesn't mean you're going to hate this career. It's, uh, you know, I don't like certain things in life, and that's just the way it is. I don't like almonds. And uh, you know what? And you're not going to convince me either way. I'm not going to go out on the internet and say, hey, listen, I hate almonds. And I'm going to be quoted for that, I'm sure. And uh, so, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to get on the internet and I'm going to start, start talking about the fact that I'm going to get, I'm going to start a thread that says, Carl hates almonds and why you shouldn't like almonds. And, and, but that's what I hear when I get out to the, the aviation websites is there's people saying, hey, you, you, this is horrible. You shouldn't do that. Uh, and this is what it's really like. And whatever, what everybody tells you is wrong. Because for some reason on the internet when it's when it's uh, like that when it's anonymous it, people are willing to say things that they normally wouldn't say, but also which is good in certain sense, in certain respects, but it's bad in others because there's no consequences in their in their discussions. So if you're gonna go out there, go to the boards, you know, yeah, find out what they they're saying. It's just it's the same thing as I tell you. Remember, if you can look at those boards and get information about the gouge for an interview, take all the negative comments, throw those out. And read the positive, and that'll get you in a positive mindset for that interview. Make sure you read those comments of the people that actually got hired and get rid of a lot of the the other ones because that makes you get, you know, you should review those in the beginning, but then get rid of them. Just concentrate on the positives, and that's really, really important. Well, I think that comes to the end. There is one listener mail that I did promise I would read, so we're going to just do one quick one. I know we normally do a lot of listener mail, but we've got to go talk to some middle school students about aviation, so this is going to be a lot of fun. Um, but one quick listener mail, because this is uh, very uh, apropos for this podcast. It comes in and says, uh, I just want to try to be the first to congratulate you on podcast milestone of your 50th episode. Thanks so much. I also wanted to let you know that I've taken the first step in my aviation career. I've just taken a job flying Aerial Survey, flying the 206. I feel that we are a lot alike. I'm, starting 34, I'm, start, I'm 34, starting my aviation career. And if I remember correctly, you were in your early to mid-30s as well. That's correct. I was 33 years old when I got started. Thanks again for your podcast and for it keeping me motivated. I've listened to the podcast from episode one. So you can also take credit for my new job in a small part. Thanks again for all your hard work. And you should start looking for me in a cockpit near you. (laughs) FYI, for your listeners and some info, I'm uh, I have a 850 total time, 150 multi, and 150 instrument. Well that was wonderful. Very inspirational. I appreciate your your sharing that with us. And and but you are on the right track. You're not quite where I am now, but then again I've been doing this for a few years longer. And uh you know that's I've got, you know, a good eight thousand hours or so more there and that took me quite a long time. Speaking of the uh, the timing as far as being getting into this career, I was thirty three when I actually started in the career of aviation. I had started when I was twenty three as a pilot just uh, having fun and using the the airplane for business and that was absolutely wonderful and you know i i do i hope to see you in a in a cockpit soon i hope to see everybody somewhere and if you see me say hello if you see me at sun and fun or if you see me anywhere online say hello i'd also appreciate you, you helping me out and and sharing your story and all think about this do one thing today that will move you towards your career goal just one thing something small open a book read a chapter Understand a new definition. Understand your airplane better. Read something, listen to something that will get you further towards your career goal. But just take that one step because a whole bunch of little steps will take you a long, long way. My name is Carl Valerian. I'm here with uh, Eric. How can they get in touch with you, Eric?
1: You guys can absolutely feel free to find me on the Twitter, uh, at symbol C-Eric Go, S E E E R I C G O. Uh, More than happy to talk to you about aviation or almonds or whatever (laughs) i happen to like almonds so carl i disagree with you entirely i think everybody should love almonds i'm going to start a forum that says almonds are great and carl is stupid um (laughs) so anyways that's that's the one way there and if you're interested in our uh uh, aerospace program here at polk state college you can find us online at polk p-o-l-k dot edu slash aerospace or also on the twitter at symbol polk aerospace I'm glad you brought the almonds up because the
0: fact that that is actually how a lot of these conversations go on the Internet and all these boards is the fact that they start with something absolutely ridiculous and continue on for days and weeks and months on end talking about something totally ridiculous. So, again, remember who who you're talking to? Listen to the people that are going to encourage you, and I hope this has encouraged you, and and that's and keep the emails coming. I know I'm really backlogged, and we will have a bunch more episodes coming up where, where they answer those emails. If you want to get in touch with us or anybody who's been on this podcast, you want to ask them specifically a question, go to com slash contact or email us at feedback at com. And if you could put in the subject line, the actual topic you're asking about, we won't probably use your name. We'll try not to. Uh, but if you want us to share it, we will. And I'll make it anonymous so they can ask anything you want to ask. And we'll try to keep it as, as quiet as we can as to, as far as who you are and, and, and keep your, your know, personal information confidential. Again, aviationcareerspodcast.com slash contact. Uh, There's going to be some links out there to all the things that we talked about and all those articles that we talked about. I have a whole bunch of them, and Eric alluded to that. So make sure you actually go to episode 50, aviationchrispodcastcom slash 50. I sure do appreciate your coming and listening today. Hope this has been inspirational. If it has, please visit us at aviationchrispodcast.com and visit our sponsors. Uh, They're the people that keep the podcast rolling. Uh, Thanks so much, and we will talk to you next episode. Make that first step, and then next step